0: welcome to the show today's guest did his apprenticeship as a brewer in germany and his passion for the brewing industry has taken him abroad as far as namibia new zealand south africa and kenya now back in germany sebastian meyer is ensuring that locals in his medieval hometown in middle franconia and bavaria once again have a local beer that they can be proud of my name is holger meyer and this is beer world Sebastian Meyer, welcome to the show. Thank you, Holger. It's nice to catch you in South Africa. Um, you have lived here before and we've met, obviously met you in South Africa, but you're here on a visit.
1: Yes, I just decided now to to come during the powwow also, and uh, I had some stuff to sort out here in Cape Town, and then I aligned everything nicely up so that it fits over, overlaps with the powwow so I can do everything like together with a nice event where I meet a lot of people also. Which was great. I mean the African beer cups also.
0: Yeah, it's amazing this the, the this community that uh, that we've got in South Africa.
1: No, I agree, and I remember also when the power started and then you know like to see something growing and then having such a yeah, such a nice size of an event, you know, like there also a lot of international people come and recognize the event as uh, the want to be, that's really great to see. Because there was I think also from the this um Pete Salzberg was there. He was quite amazing. I found his story was quite good. Also, of course, the Spike Bukowski from Terrapin. And the other international ones also were quite interesting.
0: Okay. Start telling us a little bit about your background. Where are you from and where did you grow up?
1: Originally, I'm from uh, middle Franconia. So in Franconia, it's northern Bavaria. And that's where I did my apprenticeship as a brewer from 1998 to 2001 in a place called... Uh, the Leuchtturm or, like, lighthouse. The lake was next to, not next, maybe a kilometer away, but he liked the idea of calling it the Leuchtturm Lighthouse, so that's why a lot of people came from the north and said, yeah, how can be a lighthouse because in the middle of Bavaria? There's no big really lake around. By that time, you know, like, it was one of the popular breweries uh, there in the Middle Franconia area, so Nuremberg counts to Middle Franconia, so we had a huge impact. I think it did about 1,500 hectoliters per year okay. on a 15 hectolitre Kasper Schultz kit and it was the boss and myself, you know, so I used to brew a lot and I've, we didn't filter, but we do. We did all the, the bottling by hand and stuff. So it was quite nice because it was also working very independently and on a short hierarchy, that was quite good. So everything I, I could, I learned in, in, the, in the school, in the practical, I could utilize the next week in, in the brewery itself, which made it really nice. So I really enjoyed this dual system. So when I did a brewery tour the week before, which what I learned in school, so I told everybody the new stuff.
0: <laughs> yeah, and how long how long was the apprenticeship? It
1: was it three years? I could have gone for a, a half a year shorter, but then I decided I didn't want to rush, and I went for a whole three three years.
0: Okay, and uh, what happened after that?
1: Yeah, I thought I get a nice buzzery and some good money out of it, but that uh, so then I. I did a, a, my metric in Germany. You could do it also after, not only in the in, in school, you could do it also after the, the apprenticeship. That I did in the agricultural school in Triestorf, Weinstephan. Yeah. There was a thing, a diplom, diplomat in Weinstephan. I wanted to do that. And that was not available. And, yeah, due to the fact that my father passed away like four or five years earlier, and, yeah, I supported also my family a bit with, with, the, with my... Little income I got through the, the government funding there, so I decided then not to go so far because Munich by them already also was an expensive place. Yeah. So I ended up studying environmental protection there in Weinstefan Driesdorf, which was the closest one, holding the name Weinstefan to my home. It was about 22 kilometers, so I could live at home and then I could also travel with uh, another guy from the village there. It was okay, but you know, like in the end, that was not what I wanted to do. So then after two years I quit. I started again as a as a brewer. I tried to apply now for these loans for the for the Chamber of Craft for this buzzery, There was not much, but I thought maybe I could utilize it. But then by that time that ran already out. By that time I also changed from the the Schneider Brauerei in Weissenburg. I I left to the Oettinger Brauerei. Öttinger is the biggest uh, brewing concern in Germany. So I think nowadays that it has four big branches in Braunschweig, in and Gladbach, and Oettingen. It's also 20 kilometers to my to my place. So this one ha- happened everything like in a radius of, I would say like 25 kilometers maximum, because there's so many breweries and different. Uh, the, the LGA school was in was in Munich. I had to drive the 120 kilometers, but it was always Saturdays. But the, the rest, my work life and my other edu- education was always there around... Uh, Weissenburg, Gunzenhausen, Ansbach, where, it's, where all these uh, places are, close to my place.
0: Oettinger, you said it's the biggest brewing concern in Germany. It makes uh, the, what we call the supermarket beer, I guess. Hey? Is, that, is that a big market in Germany?
1: I think they're, they're the, the biggest, you know. So volume-wise, they're the biggest. Profit-wise, probably not, because there's a they cut in the price entry level, so their margin is also very, very low, I would say. But yeah, it's, it's big in Germany because people appreciate value for money and uh, the product is also quite quite good, I would say, because you can't brew bad beer these days also. I mean, they have to have the, the, the level of uh, quality there. And they have a big variety. Also, there's their soft drinks. I mean, they also have a big variety of their lemonade called Glorietta from something in Germany It's very popular. It's similar to a, what we call a Spezi. the cola mix. It's like a mezzo mix from Coca-Cola, but that is one of the, the best-selling carbonated soft drinks in Germany, they are quite big also with them, almost, as it appears to me almost that they might make more money out of the CSTs than from the beer. <laughs> because you just mix the CST. You don't, you don't have to store it and filter it, the workload is much less.
0: Yeah, and you probably don't have to pay as much tax.
1: Yeah, that's also true, yeah. You
0: worked there for two years?
1: Also for two years. So the Schneiderbräuhr Weissenburg was a really it was in, this, uh, in Germany, we have also so many middle evil cities it was really in the middle of the town you know, like and everything was old. So the mill by that time was already, but he, he's still running with the mill, you know, from I think model 1910 or something, 1912. The mill was uh, built, so it's still operational. And for the, I'm not sure that the English word for Kirchweih, but for the Kirchweih, he still brews beer on that equipment and everything in the middle of the old town. The other stuff he stopped because this Schneider, Mr. Schneider, he's also the founder, or he reinvented the Leipziger at the Leipziger Bahnhof but on a later stage. He focused more on brewing there in uh, in Leipzig.
0: Okay, I worked in Leipzig for a while when when I was in Germany in the in the 90s, I think.
1: I think he opened this one, 1999-2000. This the the Leipziger Bahnhof. The, the is a huge success.
0: Yeah, and it's and it's not the Schneiderbrau from Munich.
1: It's not the Schneiderbrau Kelheim, it's It's Schneiderbrau Brau Weissenburg. But they are also also not related. Yeah.
0: The one in Munich is obviously well known.
1: Very famous, yeah. But look, I mean, I know this one also. They used to have a, in the village I grew up, they had a pub. My, my neighbor next to it had a pub and they used to have this beer all along. So I know it also as a child. I know the other one first. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay. And and maybe talk about the, the beer culture in that that specific region because it's obviously not we we only hear about Munich and uh, what happens in there, but this is a little bit more rural.
1: Yeah, and it's it's not like the 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 Franconian Swiss, where it's where's the breweries are m- not much smaller. Unfortunately, I must say, like the last couple of years, uh, a few guys also pulled out, put out a few closed, and their beers only manufactured or made by somebody else nearby. But yeah. When I grew up, when I was there like 20 years ago, there was still, I think we had about 16 or 18 breweries around. And now it's about uh, 12 in this this radius. Every place normally has his his favorite beer. You go there, you know, like these people like only their particular local beer. Then five to 10 kilometers to the next place. The next guys, you know, like they only like this beer, you know, because it's, and that's how it goes. The only thing which is a bit over regional is the the Weiss beer. Mm. From there we have also the, it's very close to, to us. It's called the Gutmann Weizen. But with, with wheat beer or Weizbier, it's the same. Like you have this one area and they are the, the champions there. You go 20, 30 kilometers further and then they already don't recognize it. As a, as a, they know it, but they want something else. They want than their Weizbier. Yeah. And we have a lot of very good Weizbier breweries. Imagine how this Gutmann is there. Then the Schneider Kilam of course, is also there. Then we have the Bayreuther, the Meiselweiss is also not that far, yeah. but they are not so strong with us, you know, like we, we get it, but it's not like the, the people are, go crazy for it because it's where I'm, I'm from. People really old fashioned, Weissbeer drinker, love, say, Goodman. And some others, of course, smaller, but Goodman is overall the, the number one. But at the moment what we see, what I also see, you know, is, uh, there's a decline in, in, in Weissbeer somehow for the last uh, two to three years, which... It's unusual. Normally, people love their Weissbier. And now you have this old-fashioned Weissbier drinker, always drinker Weiss, But now they also like Schneider, Kielheim. They also started to have now a Helles. Yeah. Helles has come as the, the trendy, fashionable beer. Also, Erdinger Weissbier also makes now the, the Stifts, Stifts. Helles, I think, Erdinger Stiftsbräu. And then Helles is their new brand which they want to establish to, to overcome this, this gap.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting. I was I was at Clarence on the weekend and I was talking to the guys and telling them that Helles is the fastest growing category in Germany now.
1: Is it? Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. You can also see it over regional. Like a couple of years back there was the Hefe Hefeweizen and, and everything. But I think now the Kombacher, when I'm not mistaken, they have this there's this little bottles called the Pulliken Helles. Pülliken is for a little bottle in Germany. Okay. In this side of Germany and they, they also advertise it all over and you see it really, really Everywhere this puller can. The little brewery I run, I must say also like for for us the helles is more than expected. I thought it will everything like a third. I used the data for the research from the from the private breweries from Bavaria, you know, which show what is the distribution, how many beer will sold this Weissbier and this Pilsner helles or export. And I thought okay, I will be a third, a third, a third, but it's more like 60% helles, and then the other two Maybe a third, yeah, but not as equal balanced. Mm. And then we stopped at the Oettinger, and I think the Oettinger business model, because it's low end, what they do, this guy, the Mr. Colmar, what he always started when he when he founded the the, the brewery, he always started the, the self distribution, so every supermarket can buy his his. He doesn't have a distributor in between. Yeah. From this place in Oettingen with their own trucks, you know, like they they drive everything out themselves. Well, that's then the trucks are also then their ambassadors, you know, like when you see this, so they don't make advertisements, but the trucks advertise the the beer for them.
0: Yeah, and just explain explain the supermarkets a little bit in Germany. It's also the supermarkets are very, very powerful Mm. and very, very, very cheap.
1: Yeah, and it is also. I think it, it started also in the late seventies with the supermarkets that you build the supermarkets on the green field with a big parking and stuff. And then the people can yeah they can come in and buy everything. And they, they of course they use their, their their buying power also to bring down the price. And my my opinion is that the 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 Colmar family, you know, like it never been it always been a private owned company. So they were also, like, uh, humble, it, it, to, to say, you know, and they never needed to make this, uh, like, the, the bookkeepers, this certain amount of margin, you satisfy the, the shareholders, so they could run with it, you know, like, and the guy, he grew it from, uh, he grew it from Günter Kolmer, who passed away a couple of years. He grew it then from, I think, from two, 3,000 hectoliters when he did his studies in Stefan and he studied economics afterward. He joined his father in the business and from his lifetime he made it from the a small regional brewery, brewery which was normally supposed to to close at a certain stage they so grew it to the biggest brewing concern you know like brewing company in germany
0: yeah do they also do uh, draft beer or is it mainly the bottles
1: draft beer draft beer you get but it's more like from the old days when they still had some pubs in the region around uh, Oettingen. Yeah. But they don't do a massive amount of uh, of draft beer, national wide or anything. There is definitely, but it's not it's not their, their biggest part of operation. But you can get draft beer, but it's not then it's also probably the same price as you buy it from somebody else somewhere else because their advantage was always to run these big machines uh,
0: 24/7. And do they do? Um House brands or is it their brand that they sell into the supermarket?
1: I would say like to 90% it's house brand. It's their house brand, Oettinger. But there is some other brands also which they do for uh, one company in Germany called Netto. I know that, that they still do the one for Netto called Falkenfelser. But that is, you know, for somebody who does not know, we will not see it, you know, like he will believe that it's a different brand or anything. But, you know, like you know the coding and the, 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 the codes, how the coder works. And then you can see, it. I mean, I could tell it back in the days, I can still tell it that it's still the same, even if I'm, I haven't been there for a while. So, yeah. But that hasn't changed over the years. So far as I can see it in the market when I have a look. And of course, what they do in cans, they have a big canning operation. And this there they go for the whole lot of Europe in export. So if somebody comes from Italy, from Greece or wherever, and says he wants a, a house brand in Germany brewed. Then that's what they do. They call it whatever the name you give them, you know, like and then label and then they they contract package it for you and then fill it for you up in, in cans. That's very big. That's and the cans also came up again in Germany, so that the can, cans are really, really busy again.
0: Okay, tell us a little bit about the the returnable bottles. Did, did I think you sell returnable bottles? The Euro bottle?
1: Yeah, it is. Yes, it is. The most volume goes into the returnable bottles. That is, I think, the biggest seller. I would say like maybe three quarters of the business goes into returnables, and then the rest might be can, But definitely about three three quarters from what I experienced. They have like one canning line. Have, you know, the biggest canning lines you can get. It's about 80,000 cans per hour. And then I think they have four other returnable bottle lines. And that's only in Ettingen. Elsewhere, they also do one-way glass, you know, like and stuff. But that's, then they diversified their breweries a bit. I think the one in Braunschweig does... Uh, that's the PT bottle, the other one does one-way glass bottle, so that's where they split a bit.
0: This PET for export?
1: It's also for the local market. Okay. In the supermarkets you find PT bottles, it's also there.
0: Explain the concept of the Euro bottle to us. The way I understand it is that it's a standard bottle that all the brewers can use entertainably, and it's a returnable bottle.
1: So the, the, the Euro bottle is actually the old bottle. So what mm-hmm. means old is like in the in the I think it was even introduced in the 60s or someone is the the small the, the short stubby one and this one before the breweries used to have swing top bottles and mostly branded with their name and then they, they joined forces and then they introduced this one bottle which everybody can use and you don't have to the, the issues with the branding and it's not so uh, special on the for the specialized for the brewery. So that was in the 60s. And then then what nowadays is used also for, for Oettinger and for other bigger breweries, this bottle is called the NRW bottle, the Not Run With Fallen, Not Run With Failure bottle, NRW bottle. And this one was introduced predominantly by the company called Warsteiner in the late 80s. And it began, became so popular that other breweries also jumped on it. For example, Oettinger also has it. Paulana has it. But Paulana introduced also now. Because this uh, Helles and this traditional kind of like stubby Euro bottles are so fashionable that Polana even introduced now shorter crates and also the the old Euro bottle again. Okay. And yeah, that, that is the advantage. But now also over the years, the, the bigger breweries, they they then come up with uh, branded bottles, you know, like, like Radeberger and other breweries. So then, of course, fits in all the crates and then you have a big issue later on to to sort all the the returnables because then it becomes a mess. If then the the branded returnables, you get a crate with 10 different bottles, you know, and have to go again back to 10 different special places. But it unfortunately happens.
0: And how does the recycling or the returning happen?
1: I think there's a few big players, yeah. And then the bigger places, they have then like Oettinger, we had on a a line with 60,000 people. We had about... uh, Seven operators and two people who were on the line sorting out before the, the bottle. So well, we had pre, pre-sorting and then and later on everything went on the pallet and went to the, the specialist who then divided everything for the other guys, you know, like the other big breweries who have the branded bottles. Okay.
0: And when what years were, were you working in Attinger?
1: I, I started on, on, a, on a labeler. And then half a year later was three quarters, because then we they decided already they knew that they 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 bought two two bottling lines, and then I became a shift leader on this uh, new bottling line with a KHS filler and a Cronus labeler for sixty thousand bottles per hour, which was quite big. It was quite interesting also, you know, for this high speed lines until everything is up and running and stuff. So it was a quite a challenging and interesting time also. You know to to see until everything runs smoothly there, and then when you see 60,000 bottles per hour, returnables running in circles, that's quite impressive.
0: Okay, and and after that you you worked
1: with Namibian breweries. So that was by that time I worked with Oettinger, and I did his uh, did his studies. We on the as a biotechnician for the LGA Landesgewerbeanstalt there in Munich. So. I'd, Went all the Saturdays for the studies, and then during the week, I, I normally work. Then I, I there's the, the international newspaper, Brauwelt International, or no, the normal Brauwelt. And then I saw a job advertiser with Namibian breweries. Yeah, and for some reason, I, I applied for the job, and I got it. And that's when, after my, I finished my exam on the LGA, the openings, then it was the job started at the Namibian breweries. The opening was for August, the same year. So I finished in July and I started in August. There was like um, I think five or six Namibian apprentice brewers. So the concept was like you know like for this three years where the contract was uh, lasting, we should also come and, and train them in Namibia with the because the Namibians they went to Germany to do the German trade certificate as a brewer. So the idea okay. was always to get a German to trade them also on the German system and then. Helps them also to to become the, the certified uh, brewmaster, in another brewmaster brewer in Germany, which was successful. I think all of them passed later on, and we put a lot of effort in also Namibian breweries and Christian Müller by that time was the, the Lehrmeister, we call it, the teacher, master for the for the Apprentice. Mm. Yeah, and it's really, I think, also interesting times in Namibia.
0: Yeah, it must be a lovely place to work.
1: Yeah, and it's also, I would say, interesting, you know, like because this is uh, the... The culture is also completely different. Like in Oettinger, it was everything based on a German lean manufacturing. In Namibia also, it's uh, also quite lean when it comes down to the manufacturing. But of course, the the way they they do things is different than in Germany.
0: But it's still got a German culture.
1: Yeah, definitely. Look, there was very much German culture. But still, you know, like you do it there and you do it in a different way than in Germany. Yeah. Like everything, like for the malt and stuff, you know, like until the malt arrives in Namibia, your planning is much more intense than like in Germany, you say like okay, I need malt. can okay. you know it can come within a week from anywhere, which is not the case. So you always have to plan and think more ahead.
0: Yeah. And what was your job there in Namibia?
1: I was at the, with the as a brewery operator, and I was uh, in the brew house also with the apprentice brewers, and mm. yeah, we taught them how to to make the beer, and then also we went to the Citibank Brewery for. Uh, yeah, the, when they started to brew the Wintook draft in, in, in Citibank, that's when I also came to to Citibank, when the place was, uh, I think, three or four months in operation. I so thought it was also super interesting to see such a nice operation running, because that brewery was really, by that time, I think, state-of-the-art. It's still state-of-the-art, probably, but it was everything brand new. It was really amazing to see that what you can do, you know, like in terms of... Uh, Brew house, you know, like I think that the place on top there is on marble, you know, we have a marble floor in the brewhouse and stuff, which is not everywhere in the world uh, the same. Like,
0: yeah. Was the Swaco brewery closed by then?
1: It was already closed. I think they closed 2006 or 7, if I'm not mistaken. I was here 2009, so it mm-hmm. was not running, and it was a depot but not a brewery.
0: Okay, but you made all the beers in Windhoek then and in Citibank?
1: Yeah, in Citibank, only the Windhoek draft in the beginning, and I was there where I still did. Later on other guys came and then they, I think they extended the range. but it was the Windhoek raft in the beginning there.
0: And did you also get, get to travel to the different operations in the north and, and at the coast? No, I
1: didn't. I didn't come to, the, to the, any of the depots from Namibia Brewery. I only was in the
0: in, the brewery. in
1: Windhoek and then in Siddibang.
0: Yeah, okay. And you spent uh, three years there?
1: Three years, yeah. And it was really, I mean, it was a good time because I mean, I think we did about 2.2 million hectoliters on this uh, 450 hectoliter brew house. So in summertime, we were mashing in all the time, mashing, 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 mashing. It quite intense, but it was good, you know. Yeah. So also yes, New Year's, you know, like so you, uh, there were always somebody on shift and somebody on in the brew house in production, filtering whatever was needed to get these uh, more volumes done because everything was running there. Everything came to Namibia and then was shipped down to, to South Africa, you know, like all the bottles and stuff. And was massive. was a massive uh, log- logistical operation. I mean, it's really it was very interesting to see all the trucks always coming up and down.
0: Interesting for me is that you then didn't go back to Germany, but you carried on and worked. Uh, you found a job in New Zealand.
1: In the beginning, I thought I... I I would like a job in Australia, so I there was then I didn't didn't have much context or anything. I looked online. I had the visa. I looked at seek seek.co.au and there was nothing which really suited me. And then I there's a button to for New Zealand, so I changed the search to New Zealand and there came something up with independent liquors. And yeah, we had the interview and stuff. So the first question was, Okay, I have a visa for New Zealand, uh, for Australia, do I need a different one for New Zealand? Because so I was obviously obviously obli- 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 oblivious to it. Yeah, and then the visa for New Zealand, I, I managed myself, I think, in three days, you know, from application until it was issued because I had all the other certificates for Australia already, which then I just had to hand over again, which was not a big problem. And then, yeah, then I got the, the job there. And by then, it was really, it's still a, a very interesting place. It was just brought over by ashai So they still did run a Carlsberg license there and did Holstenbier from Germany there. And Kingfisher Strong, that was before Heineken bought the, the Indian company's Kingfisher. So we did Kingfisher Strong there, like a lot of different beers, international brands also. It was really then, then we did also a craft beer range and we did the, the lower entry market le- level, you know, like in the, the medium to high, you know, and they were really diverse in the in the amounts of drinks and also spirits. What they did in the blending units, they did also an incredible amount of different spirits, which was really like quite interesting to see.
0: Yeah, and did you did you have to work with those uh, factories?
1: No, the, the blending was just, uh, you know, behind the brewing operations. Yeah. And blending, I mean, what they did there was like, the, the, I'd never worked with them because I was always fully tied up in the brewery. And they had a new filter and stuff, and there were other operations. And But look, they did something like the, like, what is it called, the Baileys, you know, like they did something with milk powder. They imported tequila from Mexico and made some some. Sp- is Mexico so you could see always what they do and how they do it but I never was personally one of the blenders I, I've always stayed with the brewery yeah.
0: it is a very interesting business <laughs> it, it was started by a guy and he really built this massive business which I, I guess he in the end sold to Asai or, or his family sold it once he'd passed away no
1: it's his family it is the, the guy was called Michael Ursek yeah and he was really like uh, I think a very ins- inspirational person I mean when you when you read his hist- history, he died unfortunately, I think, in around 2005. Not sure the exact date now. He, he had a helicopter and he crashed it together with the, the CEO, by Walsh. By that time, he crashed it into a mountain, I think. And that's how he passed. And then his wife took over and she sailed, sold it to a private equity. And then the private equity bought it from, uh, sold it to Ashai.
0: Yeah. I... And this
1: Michael Erskine really was inspirational. I mean, also he was very. You listen to the guys on the shop floor who used to know him, you know, like, so the, the guy was like, you know, if somebody needed a, a money for for a loan to buy a house, you know, like he always helped them. And when he died, when he crashed, he gave, I'm not, I'm not sure about how many, maybe 10,000 or more New Zealand dollar for every year, the guys worked with him in his uh, last will, There was, and nobody knew that he would die, you know, like it was a complete accident, but everybody got the, got the share from the company who stayed with him for so and so many years was equally separated, which was quite also I think.
0: And what is the beer culture like there compared to in South Africa, if you compare New Zealand to South Africa? Or, or, or even Bavaria?
1: I think in New Zealand, you know, like it's really the, the price structure is very high. I think like in New Zealand, the people, they, they, they're ready to fork out also even more money for, for a good craft beer. That's why they use also all of their own New Zealand hops. They're very proud of their own New Zealand ingredients and uh, privately owned New Zealand craft beers. And I, I'm not sure if it's like over 120 now or 130. I mean, the place just uh, exploded when it came to craft beers, you know. And But there is a, there's a good margin made. So I can imagine if the guys have the right concept with a little bit of a pub and uh, some distribution, that it's the... Market is big enough for everyone there. Okay. And then New Zealand is really love offset their, their craft beer. I mean, New Zealand is a beer drinking country. Also wine, but but beer is also very strong.
0: Yeah. And in that time, did you manage to visit Australia or did you not get there?
1: I, I stopped over a few times with the. I flew with uh, I think Emirates or someone, and then they always stop over once, like in Brisbane, Sydney, or Melbourne, and then I went out for a few days always, and then checked it out. Yeah, it's Australia is also a nice place, but yeah, by the time I had a job in New Zealand and I think I was actually quite fine.
0: Yeah, okay. And you didn't stay there that long?
1: Yeah, only, only almost two years because then it was, look, I wanted to then also get a job as a brewmaster and then I had a technician, I'm still a, a biotechnician but it's from the LGA from my studies, but by the time, you know, like I didn't have the brewmaster and it was always like Feeling, look, I brought the, the knowledge and stuff, but I didn't get the, the position, you know. Like, yeah. so that's when I actually we kind of like agreed that I will, I might come back, you know, like, but then it never happened, also. And then by with a, I mean, I must say, I'm very happy that I got this job opportunity then also with uh, Dematech to come to Cape Town straight after I was finished with the studies in Germany.
0: Yeah, tell us a little bit about Dematech and what, what they do.
1: I mean, Dematech is uh, founded by Delicio Mario. And he, he used to be the the sole sale agent for, for Cronus in Africa. And then later on now, I think almost 10 years ago, it started when Cronus wanted to, to run everything by themselves. So he kind of like diversified his, his business. And yeah, you can get now from raw material to equipment to consumables, anything from, from him, you know. And then I think he's very big also, Within Africa, so other African places like Ethiopia and West Africa, and also East Africa, he does a lot of business. And the the, the, the main uh, H, H2 is based in Cape Town, where his family settled after they came, I think, I mean, in the early 90s from Zimbabwe. He used to work in Zimbabwe first with the family, and then they came down to South Africa. And ever since, he, he ran the, the business for Krummers and Steinecker and...
0: Uh, Sebastian, tell us tell us about Cronus, because Kronos is it must be the biggest manufacturer of equipment in the world.
1: I think that the, the biggest one for, if you put it particularly, the biggest one for the the bottle filling equipment. Okay. And then it's it's split a bit. I mean, there's others like um, there's C-Del for example, but they do a lot of of the. the the cardboard boxes, you know, the, the milk in the cardboard and stuff. So it's really then depends how you split it. But for returnable glass, for beer, for beverage, CSD, Cronus is definitely the, the, the world market leader with a, quite a head of others which maybe have similar amounts of employees but then split differently. I think Chia, for example, they do a lot in the milk industry past uh, homogenization of milk and also the equipment which is Cronus is not so strong there.
0: Yeah. And when in 2017 I, I met you in Munich at uh, drink tech. and uh, yeah, I mean that was an amazing show. <laughs> eh? and you've got all these halls, and there's so many different companies, but then there's one hall which is just Cronus. I think that's
1: what they what they do. The Cronus, they put a lot of emphasis always on on their exhibitions, and they always bring their the latest innovations out when their exhibitions are. So there was this. Uh, the different bottle fillers the one which could fill every every valve and i think uh, the seconds were like uh, the half of the seconds so they bring out a lot of new inventions all the time on the on the exhibitions and also put a lot of emphasis on the customer experience that they can see really the what they call themselves the house of cronus
0: yeah and then you 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 got me an invite into the into the little it felt like an Oktoberfest, like one of the halls at the Oktoberfest. The difference was that everything was obviously paid for by Kronus, but that was uh, fantastic. We also ran into York Finkeldey mm. and uh, a whole lot of other brewers from around the world. It was like a gathering of all the all the brewers and everybody knew each other. It was fantastic.
1: Yeah, I think that is also very important always when you have such an exhibition. It's also, I think, what kronos puts a lot of emphasis on, that you have a good hospitality because these uh, exhibitions are the place where you meet people, all the people, you know, and that is actually the nice thing also. Then you see people who have you didn't meet for like maybe four or five years and then say again, you know, like, and you can always chat with someone, you know, like, because there's so many things happening in the meantime and the, the brewing industry is just quite, a
0: yeah, if you know your,
1: your, your, your friends and your people, you know, you have good contacts and there's always something to chat about.
0: yeah. Yeah, it was fantastic. I want you to tell us a little bit more about what you did at at Demartek when you were in in Cape Town.
1: So I was in the office of, they called me officially the brewmaster, but I would say I would like uh, sales support, project support, and also like um, product support if the people needed help on any particular application or products like the, the molds, the hops, the yeasts. And also cleaning, you know, like we did some some, some good stuff on on helping the people out who run into problems with their cleaning regimes and stuff. And also project support in in, in general. So also acquiring new customers and sales support. So I went also quite a a lot into Africa. We chased opportunities. Like also, like I went there one time. I think Jörg Finkel, also worked there before, like on on this uh, brewery in Luanda, you know, where I, yeah. And I think I the first time in my life I ordered a cat to eat, but it was an accident. <laughs> yeah, and then, yeah, we went to, to other places, you know, like also Mario had this, has still his offices there in, uh, in Ethiopia, for example. So I went also to Ethiopia. We also tried to sell um, raw materials there, and also, of course, you have to get in contact with the people that they recognize you as a supplier for the craft industry, I think, which is now really take into fruition when you see Dematech as a supplier and also Best Plus. When we went there and we met a lot of people, we also helped to, you know, in the in the early startup phase, people also have a lot of questions in terms of consulting, you know, like how they want to do it, what they want to do, you know, like and then to buy the right equipment. And I think also there's now a lot of things, good things happened over the years. Yeah. Also in terms of craft in, breweries in other parts of Africa.
0: Okay. Tell us about those. Where did you work with any?
1: No, I, I think there was the, the big five was already there in, in, in Kenya. That was one of the biggest.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then there was uh, other operations. But yeah, it was always, I think, more to meet the people and, and stuff. They were All of them were pretty much in their startup phase. Mm.
0: Was Mario also, he's also the, the agent for Kasper Schultz?
1: Yeah, he is. Yeah, he's. Yes, I think in, in Ethiopia he runs a, also a hotel and there he already has, I think, since 20 years almost, he has a Kasper Schulz plant in Addis Ababa in the, the place called Beer Garden Inn. And that's where over 20 years he already brews on a Kasper Schulz brewery with his Ethiopian partners. He makes German beer there.
0: Okay. And is Kasper Schulz the, the, the brew house that people like Jack Black and Darling mm-hmm. use?
1: Yeah, that is the, the, the equipment they use, and it's, uh, okay. I mean, it's high-end manufactured, it's a very good uh, quality, and it comes from Bamberg, which is also in Franconia, Upper Franconia, and of course, you know, like, with all the small brew, breweries there, you know, like, they have this uh, years and years of experience, and then also make very nice equipment, which also brings, you, you know, brings you a very good word uh, and everything, like, for lautering and stuff, so that's, that's really the
0: advantage. And it's an old family brewery. I see that the CEO is now the tenth generation uh, family member to to run that business.
1: Yeah, I mean it's also quite impressive. Hey? I mean you only can do it with a lot of dedication.
0: Yeah, yeah. How far how far was your hometown from Bamberg?
1: It's about 150 kilometers. Okay, but it's it's quite interesting, you know, like because I would say when I go to Bamberg, that people speak more similar dialect than, than I do myself, so, but if I go south, you know, like, I have 20 kilometers about, then I go into the area where the upper Bavaria is, so the people speak Bavarian, and uh, Oettingen is a Bairish uh, Schwaben, Soebia. so they, they speak uh, Schwabish, you know, like, so the, one time I went to, I went to Öttingen to work, and I came 20 kilometers from, from the east, and he came 20 kilometers from the west, and he told me something, and at one stage I told him, please tell it to me in German, I can't understand what you're saying. <laughs>
0: Is there is there a lot of contact with Bamberg and the and the brewers there, or have you spent a lot of time there?
1: No, but I, I met some of the you know like I still have some friends from the from the installation teams and stuff, and also from the from the sales people. Oh, so the the one guy Dieter Pollock, you know, like when I had a question about you know when I run my own little brewery in the in the in, in this place on the village, so I wanted to, to fine tune my energy consumption, so I asked Dieter, you know, like what would be the average. Kilowatt per hectoliter, you know, like to see where I can go, where I can, if I'm okay or if I'm... And he always like is then willing to help and ask me how I'm doing. And in my current job, actually, we, we have some tanks from Kasper Schulz there, you know, because they bought a company called Hinke, and this is an Austrian company, and they sold it to a company called Zeta, and Zeta then installing them at the, the site where I'm working right now.
0: Mm. Yeah, when I, when I come and visit you, I also need to do a little trip to Bamberg.
1: Yeah, we make a plan that sure, definitely.
0: <laughs> okay. And I
1: mean there's some nice movies also there. Like there there's some new newer ones, you know, like and not only the old ones, I think there's like two, three new ones opened also in the in the old town inside there, which are all of them very nice and people are very friendly, happy to welcome people. That's always good then. Also, uh, it's really I went last year in July I went with a uh, you know, me and my friend, we just jumped on the train and I just we just went there for Sunday to have some beers and stroll around the city, which is a, always a trip worth.
0: Yeah, yeah. And then, I mean, during those three years in Cape Town, you, you got quite involved with uh, with the craft brewing community. Was that through through Bef plus I, I think both. I mean, I think have and through BevPlus. Okay. It really, really
1: depends, you know, like, like the bigger projects we did, we did always through uh, Dematech, but then when it came to the raw material, like the, the hops, mode and yeast, that was always with Plus uh, support.
0: And when did they st- f- uh, start Plus?
1: I think it must have be been 2017, I think. Maybe earlier, but I, I joined 2018. Oh, watch No, man. 2014, and, and I think. And then I joined 2015. 2018, okay. I
0: was already here. Yeah. Okay, so after after your stint at Dematec, you then went to work for Cronus themselves.
1: Yeah, so the thing was like uh, in 2018, then the the contract with uh, Dematec and Cronus was was kind of like finished over. So then Mario kept some some customers, but you know that the general contract as it was before, when Dematec is the sole sales agent, that stopped, and then there was the. The question, you know, like if I wanted to to join Cronus, and I I took on the challenge, and then I decided also to join Cronus, and I got a job offer in uh, for Cronus East Africa as a brewing field service engineer, and they had a new project with the uh, Diacho Brewery there in uh, Kisumu, which was about uh, that's, uh, I think 300 kilometers on the 20 kilometers west of Nairobi. On Lake Victoria, and a one million hectoliter, hundred percent sorghum beer plant. Mm-hmm. But it was super interesting then
0: for me. Okay. So you spoke about the big five in Kenya. What else is yeah. happening? Is it all? Um, it's all returnable bottles, there, or what is the what is the market?
1: I think the big five normally do the do the. the he likes the. He has the biggest turnover over his pub in the in his pub. Yeah. The, the draft. And I think the other ones, there's one called Sierra. He also does, I think, a lot of uh, pub business in drafts on the coast. He sends a lot to, down to the coast, but it's more returnable bottles to to one-way bottles. But you know, like the returnable bottles is a big challenge. So, for me in Germany now, what I decided, I had a little bottle washer, but now I decided I bring everything to a neighboring brewery, wash it there, and then bring the the, the, the empty wash crates back, just rinse it, and then then I will be fine because the bottle washing is a mission on its own, hey?
0: Yeah. Is it all automated at your at your neighbor?
1: It's all, it's a big, big. I think, 15,000, yeah. It's okay. a, really a big brewery, and he did a fair price. I mean, I probably can't even pay water and electricity for that amount.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Because it's just so intensive, you know. Like, for them, he runs my 200 crates in... In like a half an hour, and I take like that, like 12 hours, you know, like it's just an out of
0: scope. Anything that you that would be interesting from, from your time in Kenya? Yeah, I
1: think definitely, you know, like the, the way they, they split the markets there. The Acho is the you know, the normal beer in Kenya. When you, when you remember, also, it's a very high price that the tech is very high in Kenya, but then to overcome the problem with illicit brews, they made this beer with uh, sorghum and, and sugar called the uh, Senator, and Senator is based according. But from my understanding, when Obama became senator of Michigan, they brought out this beer. <laughs> uh, and then I saw, I saw bottles and I saw a thing that after that, when he became president, they tried a, a, a pitch with uh, calling it president, but it never went through. That the people liked the <laughs> senator a lot. Okay. And I think this is a very interesting way to, of brewing, you know, because you lose local ingredients, you don't have so much imports. And, of course, this one is... Uh, I mean, it's 100% sorghum and some some sugar as adjunct, and they brew a lager out of it. You know, like it's not uh, sourish or anything. Like you would think, if you use too much sorghum, it would be, but it's really then the 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 skills they put in to make such a beer, and also for the for the health of the consumer because the illicit brews are a problem there. You know, if you have, you know, the, instead of adjunct, you have somebody throwing in battery acid or something. You know, then. Of course, it can be a little bit too much sometimes. <laughs> yeah, and the, I think that uh, the time, you know, like, was really good because, I mean, that was also a one million hectoliter brewery, as I said, you know, like it was in a bigger scale and also then the exposure for me, you know, like was uh, really nice to, to have been there. And yeah, then I started from the embedded engineer. Then later on, I became the project manager and I, I decided to make the site management also myself because I knew the site from the time as Embedded Engineer, and then I also commissioned in the last, uh, the extension phase two, which were six new tanks and uh, six tanks and then a new cooling plant. Since then I did everything, kind of like rounded it up myself, which mm-hmm. was quite cool, you know, like this. But unfortunately, it happened everything towards the end of the, or the beginning of the, of the pandemic and then. It was plans to to join Cronus as a freelancer with the uh, with the same Diacho project, kind of similar Diacho project in Ghana, but that with the with the travel bans and the stop of uh, almost everything that came also to an halt.
0: Okay, and then then did you have to go home?
1: I went in, in Germany, then I uh, was uh, looking for employment. Uh, for not long, you know, like because and also also a lot of, lot of people there, so. I helped some friends, you know, like who had some, who do some uh, agricultural business. So I helped them, but it was not, of course, not in my profession. I just did it to, you know, to be at home and you, you can, I, I'm not a person who can sit all the time at home, you know, like who so I just helped him with the, with the farming stuff and also the harvest time was there, you know, like so we were quite busy and he, sometimes he gave me a truck and I had to bring out the, the, Herbicides and stuff, and I drove quite a far, you know. Like, in there was a lot of people, farmers and stuff, which was quite cool. But I, in the background, of course, I applied for for positions, and kind of like I wanted them to step back onto the this biotechnician, which I did before. So I chased the job as a biotechnician, and now I I actually managed to, to get employment. It's almost two years, one and a half years. I'm with uh, Roche in Pensberg. So there we did some. Very interesting cultures, you know, This all of them is a GMO-modified, genetically modified organisms. And, for example, what was very big in the last one and a half years was a, a product called, called Proteinase K. So that is an enzyme which cuts the virus's membrane. So for any PCR test in the world, you would need uh, Proteinase K to expose the DNA sequence for the PCR test to, for it to be able to run. And of course, the amount was huge for the protein SK over the years. And then also we did some other interesting cultures, you know, like for for the for the mRNA vaccine, for example. We have the mRNA, but you need the hul protein. So we also did some some bros, you know, like where the where we produce the hul protein, and actually this proteins go into the the real vaccine for the. Big companies. Quite a change, you know. Like first a uh, year ago, like nine months before, you stand there in, in Africa and you you run a a site, you know. Like you try to get uh, the trucks and then deliveries on site, and then suddenly you stand there, like in a you don't wear coats, but we wear those white white uh, jeans and uh, stuff, you know. <laughs> in doing this, but it was uh, I think also a challenging and interesting
0: yeah.
1: change. And it's also nice to see that you can also contribute to something.
0: Yeah, that's not beer, and it's not beer related.
1: Look, and then on the weekends I, I run this pub brewery with my friends, here are and working for a big uh, pharma or a diagnostic operation, they've put a lot of emphasis in work-life balance, so for me it's easy then to, to cut time off from work or to shift things around so that I can also make enough time to brew the beer and, and stuff, which hopefully this year, when everything goes to plan, we will have the first year as predicted, like uh, four years ago, you know, but yeah, let's hope it stays this, this way, you know, because now in Germany it's summer and then the beer garden opens and everything. We should have some good sales, you know, like not like the years before when everything was kind of like on a full stop.
0: Yeah. Um. How, how big is the beer garden?
1: Uh, it's not so big. I mean, it's maybe for 60 people outside, but it's on a. It's a small village kind of like mm. pub, a real, real Middle-Evil kind of like. A, wipe, you know. So there used to be a brewery there in the old days, you know, when almost every bigger pub had its own brewery, brewing yeah. facilities. And the, the most important thing, I think, is that uh, my friend Marco, who is the chef, and his wife Caroline, said they want to run the pub because the, that you find hardly people in Germany now these who want to be in, who want to work in the, in the gastronomic industry.
0: Yeah.
1: Especially on the countryside, you know, like maybe in the bigger towns it's easier, but on the countryside it's very hard to find people. So I think that's why it will be will become much better. I mean, we had a horrible start. <laughs> it can only be. Better.
0: It can only get better. Yeah. Well, Sebastian, it was really nice to catch up with you and uh, to listen to your story. Thanks yeah. so much for taking the time. Thank you. Too, thank you. And uh, I'm glad that you could connect with everybody at at the powwow and African Brew. I unfortunately couldn't travel there, but uh, yeah, look. Okay. Yeah, I hope you had a good time in South Africa. No,
1: definitely, it was great. Uh, that you. Managed, that we managed to the interview i was really also looking forward to it it's quite cool yeah yeah no, i like the podcast very nice okay holger then thank you thank you too take care and then see you Bye.